Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. In the podcast this week, I'm speaking to author, copywriter and bookseller Jen Williams. Jen started her writing career by creating character-driven fantasy novels full of adventure and magic. They were extremely successful and Jen was awarded the British Fantasy Award on two occasions. More recently, Jen has written dark, unsettling thrillers with strong female leads. Her latest book, Dog Rose Dirt, was published in paperback on the 20th of January. Jen, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. I was um, just saying before we started chatting that uh, I absolutely love Dog Rose Dirt, so it's really great to be talking to you about it today. Oh, thank you. That's always lovely to hear. So let's kick off by going to your childhood. You grew up in South East London, and am I right you were an only child? No, no, I have a brother. Yeah, so I grew up in South East London in the kind of very outer reaches of South East London. So kind of around Erith and Welling which are like two places that usually nobody's ever heard of. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I was guilty of that. Yeah, no, that's fine. I always get a blank expression when I say Erith. Everyone's like, where? And it is this kind of weird limbo between uh, London and Kent, basically. Uh, it's a London borough, but no one's ever heard of it. But it's a nowhere place. So, yeah, I grew up there with an older brother. My brother's nine years older than me. And we lived with my mum and dad. Uh, in a council house and then they eventually divorced when I think I was around about six years old so at that point I went to live with my mum in my nan and granddad's house uh, and my brother lived with my dad from then on basically yeah. Okay perfect so what do you remember about your childhood I mean if it sounds like you were kind of on the outer edges of London so were you quite outdoorsy Mm. was it everything indoors how did you live your life? Uh, well, I think definitely as a kid, I would say I was an indoorsy child, actually, very, you know, very into books, drawing, reading and being indoors a lot. But actually, I did spend a lot of time when I lived with my nan and granddad in my nan and granddad's garden doing, I feel like quite nerdy things, like nerdy garden things, like looking at ants with a magnifying glass. It's really into collecting grasshoppers and keeping them in jars. And that. so I was very interested in wildlife, I suppose. If I say I'm, I was an indoorsy kid, I think that kind of misses out all the stuff that I did do outside. Because we did also used to, uh, when I lived with my nan and granddad, we were right near Oxley's Woods, okay, which yeah. is a, a kind of ancient woodland just on the edge of Greenwich. Mm-hmm. And I used to spend a lot of time up there as a kid with my family and my cousins playing 40-40 or, you know, in <laughs> ditches. Oh, I used to play 40-40. My goodness, I haven't thought about that for years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Rolling down hills and getting muddy and that sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, as nerdy as I was, there was a fair amount of outside activity as well. And did you read a lot as a child? Absolutely. I think it was the first thing I remember really loving was reading. Reading and drawing were the two big things for me as a kid. Uh, my mum read to me when I was little, kind of straight away. I think uh, 101 Dalmatians, I remember her reading that to me. And then eventually me reading it myself. 
um, and there was a lot of picture books as well that I was really fond of but kind of as soon as I could read by myself that was it I was up the library all the time yeah it takes you into a whole other world doesn't it at that point you mentioned the fact that your parents got divorced um, and unfortunately your dad died when you were 15 years old. So that's a lot to deal with for quite a young age. Um, did you find that books were a solace at that point or did you find that that stopped being a thing for a while? I guess looking back on it, I, I think definitely when my parents split up and like, you know, I was kind of removed from that side of my family, I definitely ended up reading a lot more. Definitely. It sounds wrong to say that I sort of retreated into books because it didn't feel like a retreat and saying it that way makes it sound oddly negative and I don't think it was really. But absolutely, I mean, reading became a really big part of my life. And I think there was probably a period because my, when my dad died, I was 15. So I was just about to do GCSEs. Uh, I was in that sort of point of secondary school where I think there's so much going on in your life in general when you're 15. you know, <laughs> And everything feels like a huge drama that I suspect that I probably didn't read as much as, as a slightly older teenager. But once I went, kind of got through A-levels and such, I think when I went to art college, that's when reading came back again in a really big way. And it's when I started writing more seriously then as well. Well, we do see that. Like, I'm sure you as a fellow bookseller also sees the same thing. You know, you have an awful lot of children that come into the shop mm. until maybe 10, 12, 13 years old, and then just peter out for a little bit. Um, and then they tend to come back kind of late teens. I mean, that's obviously not always the case, but that's definitely a general pattern we see. Yeah, absolutely. And as well, I think you go through different stages, don't you, when you're a kid. And definitely when I was a mid-teens kid, I got very into a lot of film and TV at that point. So other things that I really loved or still love things like Star Trek, The X-Files and loads of other 90s TV shows. I got really heavily into those for a while. But yeah, you do eventually come back to it, I think, as you get older. Once a reader, always a reader. Yeah. What was the first book that you, I mean, you mentioned a couple already, you mentioned, you know, some of the picture books. What was the first book you really remember reading yourself? Well, I was thinking about this because it's a hard question, isn't it? When you read a lot as a kid, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, any particular book that was the first but what I remember actually weirdly about reading when I was at school in sort of primary school was that I was quite a good reader you know I was sort of in the top level of reading classes at that time so I could read whatever they gave me but I didn't really connect with any of it particularly I remember reading it and then being able to you know read all of the words but not really comprehending the story a lot of the time so it was almost as if my reading ability was slightly ahead of where my brain was, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I remember reading books by Nicholas Fisk and people like that where I could read them, but I just didn't really get it. And then I think I was probably around nine or ten, and I was at the stage where I was kind of given full reign to run around the library at that point. So I'd kind of worked my way through the children's section uh, and was just looking around for anything else, and I came across The Lord of the Rings on a shelf you know in the adult section and I took it home with me because it was the biggest book I'd ever seen <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I sort of thought that would be you know that's an interesting challenge you know I can barely lift it and that book was the first book I remember really connecting with it was like finally my brain caught up with my kind of reading ability and it was the first book that really showed me what books can do it really completely took me to a different place, you know, like an entirely different world. And it lets you live this completely different life. And I was obsessed with it for, I think, a good couple of years. You know, there was a, <laughs> a good couple of years where that was on rotation. I would read, you know, all three over and over again. 
And then particularly the first one I read more than the others, I think, because I really loved The Fellowship of the Ring. So that was in my kind of, you know, my mind map of how reading happened. The Lord of the Rings was the first big one. Because I, I remember, for example, reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe before that, which I liked. But once I read Lord of the Rings, it made the Narnia books look silly, which sounds really bad. And I'm sorry for it, you know, all the C.S. Lewis fans. <laughs> and he's great, obviously. But as a kid, I was like, wow, you know, Lord of the Rings is the serious stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just was a, such a big deal for me as a kid. Yeah, to move, move into what is very clearly an adult fiction book rather than mm. the children's one there's probably a bit of that going on as well oh yeah yeah so you know obviously you said you went through school you ended up at art college and you said at that point that was when you started to write what what do you think it was that that motivated you to do that it's interesting actually because I'd kind of written short stories all through sort of secondary school I was lucky to have a couple of really supportive English teachers through the years who encouraged me to do that but I'd always thought that writing a book would be too much work because <laughs> you know a short story is a few thousand words that's you know that's manageable but I didn't think I had the stamina for a whole book and then also going to the sort of comprehensive school I went to art and you know writing weren't really kind of held up as a career option at all you know it's, I remember repeatedly being told you know it's great to have hobbies like writing and drawing but they're not what you make a career out of, you know, it's not a proper job. So because when you're young, also you believe when adults tell you this stuff, you know, because you don't realise that they don't necessarily know everything that they're talking about. So I kind of put it to one side and being quite contrary, went to art college anyway. And while I was there, I think I realised as much as I loved the practical art, side of things when I was writing my dissertation and essays and things that you had to do I kind of started to realize that I was enjoying that more than the practical work and then when I came out of art college you know I did love art college in some way but it also is a, it can be a weirdly dispiriting experience um, really how so yeah I think it's difficult to describe it but I think I went into art college coming straight from school more or less and kind of having in my head this idea that you had to do what the teachers told you and I was a very swatty kid so you know I was very much like you know the teachers they tell me to do the thing I do it and then you get to our college and although it's a lot more relaxed I think if you have that mindset it can be quite difficult because you know they're telling you oh go and do this and explore that and you're like well I need you to give me a structure to do it yeah. because this is how I understand learning to be and I think I struggled with that for a few years and I kind of kept limiting myself so by the time I came out of art college I felt like I hadn't quite gotten out of it what I could have you know probably because it was my mindset wasn't correct for it really I needed to be a bit more kind of um, free with it I suppose but anyway so I came out of art college kind of feeling like I hated drawing which is it's like terrible because it's like the opposite of what you want to come out of art college with you know yeah and I just felt really sick of it and I thought I just don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. and you know I like a lot of people I went off and got a job and thought well I'll have a think about what I want to do you know Mm because I'd been planning to be an illustrator that was my what my degree was in and um I went to work for Waterstones for about I think it ended up being about eight or nine years in the end and I was there for a couple of days a week and then eventually I became full-time and then eventually I became a senior bookseller and 
there was one particular day where I just just a really terrible day. I know that book selling is a great job, obviously, as you know. Yeah. But every now and then you do get a really crap. Yeah, in all jobs it can mm-hmm. be rubbish. Um, and I'd had a particularly bad one. You know, it's Waterstones. It was probably around Christmas. You know, it was crazy times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had a really dreadful day, and I came home and I just thought I'll do some writing to cheer myself up a bit because it's quite I find it to be not relaxing as such but it you know it's an escape Mm -hmm. kind of thing so I sat down and started writing something and it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and then I realized that it was trying to be a book and I think that was probably I was 22 or 23 at that point and um, it was like a a light went on in my head and I thought no this is what I'm supposed to be doing supposed to be writing a book you know, like I'd finally figured it out <laughs> after, you know, the short stories and the art degree and, you know, the dissertations. And I always thought I don't have the stamina to write a book. That's silly. But actually it was what that was exactly what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> all along, it turns out. That's amazing. And so that first piece of work that you were working on, did that then go on to become your first book? No. <laughs> no. Excellent. Excellent. No, not at all. That was, it was dreadful. Um, <laughs> I mean, finished it guess it was about a hundred thousand words long and it was just a hot mess you know just a complete disaster you know personally I feel like you do have to have those books sometimes you know the ones especially the first one where I mean genuinely had no idea what I was doing at all Mm -hmm. you know I hadn't taken a level English at school I hadn't obviously hadn't done a creative writing degree so all of my knowledge was just from reading basically Mm -hmm. So I had not a clue what I was doing, but you learn so much from that sort of hot mess of a first book. And then the second one you write, you know, is still terrible, but it's slightly better. <laughs> so I think all in all, there were five books, I think, before The Copper Promise, which is the first fantasy book, the one that my agent picked me up for uh, and then sold the headline. So there were five increasingly better but still fairly rubbish <laughs> learning books I guess but it's great that you you know you kept going with that so I was about to say so fast forward to today right so you're now living in southeast London but you're in Camberwell proper bit of southeast London <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> yeah it's a great part of London actually Camberwell I think there's lots going on it's, it's a lot of fun oh I love it so you are now there and you've got this fantastic portfolio career where you're writing you're working as a bookseller but you also do copywriting as well Mm. how did you get from the person that was writing these five books and then ended up kind of getting a fantasy book published to where you are now oh well it's been I guess a kind of relatively confusing route I suppose um because I didn't intend to be a copywriter at all but essentially what happened was obviously I was working at Waterstones uh for a number of years and while I was there I was you know trying to write these books teaching myself how to write books and I'd kind of I think at that point, figured out that that's what I wanted to do was write mm. books. But I hadn't quite got round to the idea that uh, it might be nice to let other people read them, you know. <laughs> so the idea of being published was only just starting to form, I think, in my head, because I guess I'd only just started to get to the point where it felt like they were readable to anyone other than me. And then I left Waterstones after a, another kind of series of bad days and went to work for a company called the Folio Society. Yep. So they publish these kind of amazing, beautiful editions of classic books and stuff. So I worked for them for, gosh, I can't, actually probably about another eight years, I think. I'm probably getting the maths all wrong because I'm terrible at that. But um, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good long period anyway. And I worked there as a 
uh, I started off in customer service as a sort of phone person and then I was I worked in their little shop for a little while as well and eventually I was the receptionist <laughs> so I basically moved around the whole building for a few years and while all this was going on I was writing those five books that I told you about mm-hmm. and then I kind of got to the stage where I thought well, you know what I'm going to try sending out novels and see if I can query agents with them you know and I always been really terrible at doing research so I'd only really just started to learn the process of how you know how all that works I started querying with a book called Ink for Thieves which was a a kind of young adult fantasy book and when I say started querying I mean I made a list of agents I wanted to send it to and then I started writing a letter (laughs) and that was it it. yeah (laughs) and I just sort of it was so scary I think I just I fell into this kind of procrastination cycle where I started doing literally anything else other than do a query on this book. And one of the things I wanted to do to distract myself was write a series of self-published novellas. Mm -hmm. So I thought this will be fun. You know, I'll just do these really short continuing stories set in this fantasy world with these fantasy characters. And it's just going to be like a really fun, knockabout, light adventure type thing. And I'll do that and I'll bung it on you know, Amazon as like a ebook and mm-hmm. just see what comes of it. You know, I thought that would be fun. That's much more fun than writing query letters or doing anything scary like sending the book out. So I started doing that and I put the first one up and it, you know, it didn't do spectacularly well, but people had a good reaction to it. And there was a lady who was an editor at the time, a small independent publisher. And she said, you should finish this, make it into a novel and then send it to me and I'll have a look at it for our publisher. So of course, immediately I was thrown into a massive panic basically <laughs> so I, this is the thing I was trying to avoid doing and so I very quickly had to write the rest of this book you know because I felt like I couldn't pass up the opportunity to have a real editor look at it yeah essentially so that ended up being the copper promise which is originally four novellas I think and then it turns out if you put four novellas together it becomes a really long book um, <laughs> and the editor in question in the end didn't go for it because I think she thought it was young adult when it wasn't really. But at the same time, my friend Adam Christopher, who writes science fiction and he writes the kind of Star Wars at the moment, he said to me, oh, did you know that Juliet Mushens is looking for epic fantasy at the moment? Obviously, I knew Juliet through social media and such, and obviously incredibly impressive agent, and she was the top person on my list, you know, the list that I had been ignoring for months. And so I just took a chance and sent it to Juliet and she picked it up. So in a way, just incredibly lucky because I was so intent on avoiding the whole process of actually querying someone. And then a really back to front way kind of ended up with an agent anyway. Ends up with the exact one that you were hoping Exact one that I really wanted, yeah. And obviously she was incredible and that's where the Copper Promise kind of came about. And so I wrote the Copper Promise and I think both of the sequels while I was still working at the Folio Society. And while I was there, they realised, obviously, the people, you know, my bosses at the Folio Society realised that I was writing and they asked me if I would think about doing copywriting for them, if I I would like to move into that department. And so I did. Uh, And so that's why I ended up doing copywriting, because they thought, I guess, they thought, you know, she can write books, she might be able to do the copy. (laughs) 
<laughs> about books. Yeah, so that's why I ended up doing copywriting. And then a few years down the line, I left Folio and now I do freelance. Fantastic. So you're completely in charge of your own destiny. Yes. That's a lot to juggle though, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, obviously the jobs are complementary, but they are all quite different. So how do you manage that? Are you quite structured with your time or do you just kind of find your way through it? I'm always fascinated to hear how people work. <laughs> I think I like to think I'm very structured with my time. <laughs> Certainly when I started, you know, when I began doing freelance and I realised that I had to split everything sort of three ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to be writing books, I had to be doing the copywriting and then there was also the bookshop work. I was very structured. I would make myself timesheets and calendars and stuff, I think probably for the first year or so. And then that kind of just sort of stopped happening because <laughs> it gets to the point where you're just too busy to yeah. do things like that, which is great in itself. So these days I have my calendar and I have deadlines written down everywhere. And mm -hmm. I think almost by accident, I've become quite good at time management mm -hmm. because you kind of have to, yes, be, absolutely. you know, and also quite good at telling how much time it's going to take me to do something, I think is a really useful skill. Yeah. You know, if I can look at something and say, well, that's probably going to take me four days to write the copy. Or if I'm looking at an edit and think, well, that's going to take me three weeks to go for all those comments and stuff. So most days are kind of split in two. So I will usually spend probably like the first half of the day doing copy or any other bits that need to be done. And then in the afternoon, it will be a first draft or the edit or whatever it is I'm doing now. I mean, bookshop days are just bookshop days. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to. Back in the day, I did. I mean, when I was writing while I was at Waterstones and the Folio Society, I would come home after a four days work and then do writing. Mm. But these days I'm lucky enough, touch wood, <laughs> that I can have full days where I just write and I don't feel like I have to now squeeze it around the nine to five job. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? It's yeah. best of both worlds. So we'll come back to your new book, Dog Rose Dirt, shortly. But just before we do, I just want to find out for a little bit more about you and your reading preferences. Because, I mean, we started this podcast in September 2020, so we've run it all the way through. The whole time it's been, we've all been impacted by COVID. Mm. How has that impacted you both professionally and also personally? And have you found that by having the lockdowns that we had, did that impact the way you read, the way you responded to things, and the way you relaxed? Yeah, gosh, it's been such a weird time, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I say that every few days to somebody, you know, like, what, I mean, how are we even processing what's happened? But yeah, it's been a weird couple of years because as it happened, my partner was diagnosed with cancer in July 2019. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> yeah, so he had just started his sort of chemotherapy and all that sort of thing, kind of around about the winter of, yeah, December 2019. And then, of course, everything kind of kicked off in March 2020. So it's been 18 months to two years of kind of juggling a lot of stuff, a lot of it quite hard to deal with, obviously. And I think for us, I mean, because we were properly locked down from March, because obviously he was very vulnerable, or considered vulnerable. So we couldn't leave the house and we were having parcels of food delivered to us from like the government and if we went out at all he couldn't go out at all but I had to be fully masked up and so it was quite just really strange kind of dystopian time yeah of mm. like high stress really high stress with no kind of physical support in a way because you couldn't go and see family because of where we live we're slightly too far away from everyone for them to come in kind of just walk down the road to see us. So we went through this really bizarre period where we couldn't see anyone, couldn't leave the house. 
And he was obviously quite poorly because he was going through all these treatments. And oddly, I found that I did do a lot of work <laughs> that year because it was almost as if there was nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And in a way, I'm almost used to working from home because, you know, this is literally my desk. This is where I sit and work 90% of the time. So if I was sitting here and working, things didn't feel that different, really, because yeah. this is what it's always like. It was only when I went outside and there was no one around that it felt more obvious that everything had gone really strange. Mm. So I ended up being quite productive that year. You know, I did a lot of writing. I read a lot of books. And I felt like that was kind of a lifeline, actually, you know, without the books and without the work, I'm not sure how I would have coped <laughs> with it all. No, it's, it's when you're going through high stress, it's often quite helpful to have that structure, isn't there? And, mm. and like you say, the fact that your work could continue as it was, I think that the thing a lot of people really struggled with was the fact that the way they were doing their work previously was all then just thrown up in the air. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was lucky in that sense because the, my main work was not as disrupted as everyone else's. So, mm. yeah, so it, it did feel like that was the safe place, you know, to go and continue writing. And then I didn't have to think about all the other terrible stuff that was going on almost. Yeah. How is your partner doing now? He's good. Yeah, thank you. He's fine. He's had, well, all the treatment and then he had a really big surgery and then he kind of had a big recovery and then another smaller surgery. So he's on the other side of it. He's been given, you know, the all clear now, which is amazing. That's really good news. Yeah, it was really, yeah, fantastic stuff. So he's still recovering to some extent, but doing so much better than he was obviously so please do that let's get back to books for, uh, for a minute so what was the last book you read so the last book I read was the apparition phase by Will McLean I think his name is yeah so yeah I, th I guess that's the most recent one um really really good excellent novel about ghosts and ghost hunting um it just felt when I read the blurb that it was basically written for me because it was so on the nose with stuff that I like. It's basically about boy and his twin sister. I think it's set in the late 70s. And they're both really into ghosts and the occult and sort of strange stuff. And immediately I was like, well, that's me. You know, <laughs> when I was a kid, just absolutely loved anything that was creepy or weird. You know, I was always getting out books from the library about spontaneous human combustion or... <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster and, you know, any kind of ghost stuff. So these, <laughs> I was like, this is exactly me when I was that age. And anyway, they basically decided to fake their own ghost photograph with the sort of tech that you would have in the 70s. And it kind of prompts a ghostly presence to actually appear. And then it kind of has this knock-on effect with their lives. And it was just really good. It really reminded me of The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, which I also love and I reread earlier. I think I reread it last year because it's all about, you know, there's a big haunted house and there's a bunch of people there trying to figure out if the haunting is real and there's all sorts of psychological undercurrents. And it was just really good and really funny as well, which I always appreciate in a book. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have picked that up necessarily from the blurb, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it sounds super dark, but it's written with a real kind of wry sense of humour, which I really liked. And... um did you discover that because of the book selling? It was, yes. Did you find it just in the shop? Yeah. 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 One, of the best <laughs> One of the best perks, isn't it? <laughs> of the job. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure you must have the same experience. But essentially, every day unpacking boxes, I'm kind of reading the back of everything as it comes in. And there'll usually be like a separate pile where I just like, well, 
that's for the shop and that's what I'm going to read later. And I think we all do that as well. The booksellers that I work with are all the same, you know. So it's a it's a miracle that anything gets to the shop floor, to be honest. Um, <laughs> to get that combined with the proof advance copies that we all get. It's just oh, yeah, bummer, yeah. You know? I mean, it's, yes. I mean, it's crazy. I, that, and I also get sent books from publishers as well to read in advance. So I'm constantly drowning in a sea of books, <laughs> which Not is great. Yes. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your book now, uh, Dog Rose Dirt. Now, this book, as I mentioned in the introduction, is a very different style to your previous book. So this is mm. this is more of a mystery crime thriller that really does keep them guessing till the end. Well, when I say them, I mean me. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, I want to hear. It was yeah, yeah. It was it's fantastic. A real kind of page turner, but made me think an awful lot. So just for the purpose of our listeners, can you just describe what the book's about, please? <laughs> yes. So. I'm terrible at doing the um, pitch, I'm afraid. But it's basically about a woman whose mother commits suicide. And when she goes to basically clear out her mother's house, she realises that her mother has been writing to a serial killer for decades, for literally like 30 years, I think it is in the book. And obviously, as this would, completely throws her because she suddenly has no idea who her mother was, Mm -hmm. really, because it goes against everything she knew about her. And at the same time, there's a copycat killer who is reenacting the murders of this particular serial killer. So essentially, it's about this character, Heather, trying to get to the truth of how involved was her mother in all this stuff and who is doing these murders now. And in order to do that, she has to go and speak to the serial killer her mother was involved with, who is now uh, in Belmarsh and has been for, I think, 20 years or so. So she has to go and have, you know, all these creepy chats with him. <laughs> yeah. I really, I found that bit really interesting. That A, the bit when she was going and chatting to the prisoner, but also the whole concept of, you know, her mum keeping this pen pal type relationship going for years. Mm. And that's obviously a thing, isn't it? I mean, people do that, don't they? People will, yeah. will write to prisoners. Did you do much research about that? Or was that mostly drawn from your imagination? How did you come up with the idea? I think I've kind of accidentally been doing the research for a really long time because I've had, I've got this kind of, it's probably related to the spontaneous human combustion stuff, but I have a sort of morbid interest in serial murder mm-hmm. uh, and true crime. So I spent you know, a number of years reading about a lot of really horrible stuff. And my agent also has an interest in this, these sorts of things. So we used to send each other articles and links and such. So that was why she essentially said, well, why don't you write a crime novel, you know, to do with this sort of thing, because you've already done all the research. So yeah, I didn't look specifically into the pen pal thing, although I did a little bit. But I think because Heather's mother's relationship with the murderer is quite different, I didn't want to get too involved in the weird psychological makeup that, you know, <laughs> that sounds mean, but the weird impulse that some people have to kind of reach out to people in prison who've done really awful things. Mm-hmm. And almost try to fix them, I think, sometimes is yeah. the kind of impulse behind it. So I didn't look too closely at that, but I did spend a lot of time reading various cases about, you know, serial murder and I guess cases that felt to me in the same kind of vein as the one that I was writing about. So It, it is. Yeah. I mean, it is a fascinating subject. I always say that there's this thing about things that you hope that you as an individual never personally experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I have a bit of an obsession with 20th century war history, so the First and Second World War, mm. you know, it's so awful. Yeah. But actually, I kind of always want to find out more about what happened. And I think mm. it's the same sort of thing. Obviously, as I said, this book is in a very different genre from your previous ones. 
did the writing process differ at all or did you find that it was fairly similar uh, it was quite different I mean it, it's um I just sort of threw myself into it without thinking about it too much but actually the genre has a completely different set of rules to it. it has a sort of different approach um with fantasy I'm very much a character driven writer so I will start off with a group of characters that I want to write about and then kind of figure out what their story is and kind of build it from there whereas with crime and thrillers you often kind of start off with a concept or an idea and then you reach the characters through that so I guess the starting point of Dog Rose Dirt was a very simple question of what if you found out your mum, you know, was best friends with someone really terrible? What would you do about it? And then from there came Heather and her mother and the other characters in that book. So it was immediately a different way of writing for me. And there's also lots of practical things that are just very different. Like with fantasy, you have to build an entire world just from the ground up essentially so everything has to be built on the page and shown to the reader whereas with crime obviously it's taking place in the real world you don't have to explain to people why there are dragons or anything like that you're all right you can just say this is Lancashire or this is London you know what that's like it's okay I don't have to explain everything to you so from a practical point of view it's very different And also just the way that you release information is very different as well. So with fantasy, you're often giving the reader these little parcels of information that are sort of dressed up in different ways. Whereas with crime, you're often not telling the reader lots of things. You know, you're deliberately leaving things out and making them question stuff, even with regards to the main character. So there will be secrets that the main character has that you don't tell the reader immediately. And so that almost feels kind of backwards when you've written six huge fantasy novels where you have to tell the reader everything. Suddenly you're saying, no, you can't know that. And in fact, the end of every chapter, I'm going to make you even more confused about what's just happened. (laughs) Yeah, you did that. You definitely did that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Just one more question about this book in particular. The ending kind of went off in a way that I was really expecting it to go off in. And obviously no spoilers, but the <laughs> did you have that idea in your head from the get-go or did it evolve and come to it? I think especially with crime or thrillers, I'm always fascinated with how the ending's found. Yes, I think with Dog Rose Dirt, I knew what the ending was going to be pretty much from the beginning. I just didn't know how I was going to get there <laughs> exactly. So the interesting thing with Dog Rose Dirt was it, took a lot more editing than my fantasy novels did so I think it went through I guess like five or six significantly different versions I guess before it got to the end one and the ending I think was always the same from the start but how we got there changed quite often it was a steep learning curve I think is is how I like to think of it now. Probably quite good to have done that though when you've done something in a particular genre for a while then to try something different in terms of challenging yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really interesting, you know, when I wasn't pulling my hair out. <laughs> it was really, uh, I feel like I learned so much from writing Dog Rose Dirt. You know, it was a real interesting challenge and I definitely would say to any writer, you know, jumping outside of your genre comfort zone and, and trying something else other than just getting to say you've written in another genre it really does teach you more about writing yeah so you feel like you come back with more tools than you set out with basically yeah Should only be a good thing just related to the uh, dog that again you announced in november that the tv rights film rights 
Screen rights. Screen rights. Screen yeah. rights <laughs> had been bought by now. I don't know. Is it Galmont? Is that what you is that Galmont? Him? Yeah. Galmont, okay. So, yeah. Which is a team behind TV shows such as Hannibal, Narcos, mm. um, Lupin recently, which I just absolutely love. So that yes. must have been really exciting when that happened. Oh yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was so excited about it because it was one of those things that as a writer it feels like an unreachable achievement it's one of those sort of glittering dream things that you don't really think about because it just doesn't really happen yeah. so when Juliet said oh you know we've had a <laughs> we've had some interest I was like what and then of course there's a long period where you're not allowed to talk about it to anyone so that was agonizing in its way as well you know because you just desperately want to tell people and you're not allowed until everything's kind of signed off and you know they've done the press release so yeah that was a strange period and then finally being able to tell people was brilliant yeah fantastic and on the day dog rose dirt came out we had a meeting with the people at galmont and they um they were so lovely and understood the book so well you know to the point where i was like wow i think they know more about it than i do to be honest <laughs> And, you know, everything they were coming up with in terms of ideas for how it might work as a TV series was just brilliant. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I kind of want to see the TV series more than I ever want to read the book again. That's for sure. You know, so yeah, so that was brilliant. I mean, it's definitely like a bucket list thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of the very first stage of how TV series happen. So it might still never get made. But it's the first stage where they start kind of putting it together and um, potentially selling it to a network. So, yeah, either way, I mean, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, watch this space. Yeah. So just before I let you go, I mean, as a bookseller and hopefully as a fellow bookseller, um, you may share this theory, maybe you won't. But um, I have a theory that everyone that reads has a book that has had an impact on them in quite a significant way. And that could be professionally, it could be personally, and there could be multiple books. Mm. Do you have a book like that? And if so, what is it? Yeah, so I was thinking about this. This is such a hard question. <laughs> because as I'm sure you know we all have I think books that are important to us that we happen to read at certain times in our lives that were really you know impactful like for example I read uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was about 12 I think and that was huge for me you know I think that helped form my sense of humour and stuff like that but so I was trying to think about it in a really deep way and I think The Stand by Stephen King was a big deal for me it wasn't the first Stephen King book I'd read because I think I read needful things first because I was at that stage where I was at the library just taking out whatever books in the horror section were there you know picking them up quite randomly and then I got to the stand and I kind of picked it up without knowing anything about it at all and it had quite a weird cover I think it just had like some lightning on the front of it or something and I hadn't heard anything about it at all and it just completely blew me away I think it was the idea of characters as real people, I think, is what that book introduced to me. Because it really takes, and often Stephen King, this is the thing that he does, he takes ordinary people and puts them into really extraordinary or usually quite upsetting situations yeah. and then makes them feel really real on the page. So that book, again, like Lord of the Rings, I read it over and over and over again. And it got to the point where it felt like those characters were friends in a way, you know. And I think that kind of character-driven narrative had a really deep, almost unconscious, I think, effect on how I write myself because kind of really hammered home to me the idea that characters are really the heart of it for me. And if you start off with these characters and make them feel as real as possible, you can kind of get away with telling any story you like. Of course, yeah. it's probably not the best book to read at the moment, <laughs> given that it's about a super virus kills off like 90% of the population uh, and it's very grim but 
still a great book. Content I mean, warning. Content yeah, warning. I mean, maybe not now, maybe in a few years, but um, yeah, a great book. And also, in terms of changing my life, because I became such a huge Stephen King fan, I um, eventually got to read the Dark Tower books. You know, his kind of fantasy series became such a huge fan. I joined a Stephen King fan forum. <laughs> This was in the early days, well, I say the early days, for 2003, 2004. Internet was still a friendlier place back then, I think. And um, I met the person who eventually became my partner through that oh, website. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, so we just we just had our 17th anniversary a couple of days ago. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. So, thanks, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Stephen. <laughs> So obviously Dog Roses has come out in paperback. What's happening for you now? I mean, obviously that's out there now for people to read. Are you working on mm. something else? What are your plans for 2022? Uh, yeah, so I think the paperback of Dog Rose Dirt comes out on the 20th of January. So that feels really soon now. I guess that's only, crikey, yeah, that's only a few weeks away, isn't it? And at the moment I'm editing the second thriller that I have to come out with HarperCollins. I think this is about technically the third uh, redraft of it but it's the first one with my editor so I'm doing that now I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out it might be 2023 but I'm not sure so that's what I'm doing right now and I've also been writing uh, a fantasy book kind of in between everything else which is unrelated to my previous ones and it's not contracted anywhere so I don't know what's going to happen with it but you know I can't quite leave fantasy alone so yeah I've just been kind of puntering along with that in the background because you haven't got enough other things to do I know <laughs> yeah you'd never have believed it especially when I was a kid but it turns out I can't really go without doing any work for any period of time so yeah I can relate well I hope they both go really well um thank and you it's been so lovely chatting today we've been chatting for ages it's fantastic <laughs> oh, so, thank you it, it was so good to hear your story and i'll make sure that the paperback of dog rose dirt is in front of all of our readers oh lovely thank you thank you so much oh thanks all of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the most books website this podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at mostly books in abingdon if you enjoyed what you heard Please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.